Welcome to the podcast about everything. I am your host, Don Mast. Today is a bonus feature. And bonus features are special stories that we find that we'd like to share with you. Today's story is the story of Ida Mayfield Wood, a reclusive millionaires who lived in a New York hotel room for 24 years. Sit back, relax, and be ready for the twists and turns in the podcast about everything. It was the beginning of June on an overcast day in 1857, and Ida, 19, was in a hurry to keep an appointment with a man whom she'd wrote to several times, several days earlier. She didn't want to appear undignified, but she was running and running as she hopped aboard the dusty streetcar, hoping that she would not be late. After all, this would be their first date. She had told her parents that she was heading for an interview, and in many ways, it was. The man she was running to meet was congressman and daily news publisher, Benjamin Wood, who was the brother of New York City Mayor Fernando Wood. And Benjamin was a very rich and very powerful man, and Ida was keen to impress him. She was confident that her beauty would be pleasing to Mr. Wood. After all, the interview hinged upon it. Because Ida was from a poor family, she knew that she had little chance of meeting Benjamin through any social events. But she wasn't going to let that discourage her. She could, after all, write. And she wouldn't beat it around the bush, either. She had a gut feeling that she must be fairly direct with this man. This is what she wrote. May 28th, 1857. Mr. Wood, sir, having heard of you often, I venture to address you from hearing a young woman, one of your former loves, speak of you. She says that you are fond of new faces, and fancy as that, I am new in this city, and in affairs, that I would love, that I might contract an agreeable intimacy with you of as long duration as you saw fit to have. I believe that I am not extremely bad looking, nor disagreeable, perhaps not quite as handsome as the lady with you at present, but I know little more. And there is an old saying, knowledge is power. If you would wish to have an interview with me, Address a letter to number Broadway, P.O. New York, stating what time we could meet. Benjamin was married to Della Wood, who was actually his second wife. But at 37, he was still very keen on new adventures. So he quickly responded to this intriguing letter and agreed to take her for a walk to Central Park. Upon coming face-to-face with this mystery admirer, 
he found himself very pleasantly surprised. Although she had almost a sad look in her eyes, there was something in those eyes, something that sparked his interest. During the walk, she informed him that she was the daughter of Henry Mayfield, a Louisiana sugar planter, and that her mother, Anne Mary Crawford, was a descendant of the Earls of Crawford. This was far from the truth. Benjamin was entranced by this slender-framed, dark-haired beauty, and even before they'd reached the park, he'd already decided that Ida would be his next mistress. Ida had only recently arrived in America. Her real name was Ellen Walsh, and her father was not a rich sugar planter, but rather a poor Irish immigrant from Massachusetts. Her mother was far from being a descendant of the Earls, but was in fact from the slums of Dublin. Ida thought it would be wise to bend the truth somewhat. After all, she was to mix with high society. She must have all the right credentials. She took the surname Mayfield purely because she thought it sounded nice. Benjamin soon introduced Ida to the social whirl of New York's elite. She even had the opportunity to dance with the Prince of Wales when he arrived in 1860. And less than a year later, she was to meet Abraham Lincoln. It was like a dream. Here she was, riding in a carriage on Fifth Avenue, and the reporters were calling her the Belle of New Orleans. Ida slipped into this role quite easily, for it had all been foretold long ago. Ida and Benjamin were quite the perfect match. It is not recorded if his wife knew of this long affair, but in 1867, Della passed away, and Benjamin took Ida as his new wife. That would be wife number three. They also had a daughter, apparently born before the marriage, whom they had named Emma. It seemed the perfect family. But Benjamin had taken to gambling at the club, and the amounts were large. One time, he even wagered the Daily News, and luckily, he won. Ida was enjoying this new lifestyle and all of the luxuries that a poor immigrant's daughter never could have. It was beyond her wildest dreams, and as she had always been frugal with money, and realizing that with Benjamin's wild spending habits, that they might end up losing everything, she came up with a very good plan. She got him to agree to pay her half his winnings. And if he wasn't lucky that night, he also had to pay her the amount lost. This she shrewdly invested in stocks and shares. Ida would wait outside the club to collect her shares of the winnings. If he kept her waiting too long, <laughs> he also had to pay a fine. He would often write her apology notes about his gambling. And in one note, he signed off, Unfortunately for you, 
your husband, Ben. He loved Ida and he knew without her strict measures, he'd be ruined for good. One night he returned with winnings of over $100,000 and showered it all over their marital bed. It was the ultimate offering of devotion. In 1900, Benjamin died. His passing was mentioned in the newspapers. The New York Times also wrote, It was said yesterday that Mr. Wood possessed no real estate and that his personal property was of small value. In the years before his death, Benjamin had signed over all of his property and businesses to Ida, the girl from Massachusetts with the sad eyes had come a long way. In 1901, Ida sold the New York Daily News to the publisher of the New York Sun for more than $250,000. She also sold all of the valuable possessions that she had acquired over the years, including furniture, sculptures, tapestries, and oil paintings. Maybe Ida had a premonition of the economic events that were to unfold in the coming years. After Benjamin's death, Ida also started to turn down invitations to social events. She was seen less and less in the public. The Panic of 1907, which saw the New York Stock Exchange drop by nearly 50%, caused Ida to panic also. She went straight to her investment bank and demanded the balance of her account in cash. Nearly $1 million, which she stuffed in a simple old net bag. The bank director must have also been in a state of panic after Ida and her money departed. Ida's next step was to catch a taxi to Manhattan where she signaled the driver to stop at the Herald Square Hotel. When the reception clerk asked her how long she would be willing to stay, she replied that she was unsure, but that the sojourn may be extended if the atmosphere was found to her liking. The clerk gave her the key to room 552, which was a two-room suite. And here, Ida, her daughter, and her sister, Miss Mary E. Mayfield, would remain for the next 24 years. In March of 1931, Ida's voluntary retreat from the world came to a screeching halt. Her sister had died which necessitated her to step into the corridor and to call for help. This is something that she hadn't done since the day she had checked in. And once that door had been opened, the world, which she'd managed to bar for so long, came rushing in. Over the next 24 hours, various people filtered in and out of the room. The hotel manager who had worked there for nearly seven years and had never met Ida or her sister, 
the house physician of the nearby hotel, Hotel McAlpin, and also an undertaker. Also summoned were two lawyers, one of whom would try to piece together this bizarre puzzle of Idlewood's life. The lawyer would require a stiff brandy. The suite was crammed with moldy items that she hoarded over the decades. To add to this, Ida hadn't bathed in years. Hotel employees stated that no one had been allowed to enter the suite, not even to clean it. The maid on their floor said that only twice she had persuaded Ida to hand over soiled sheets through a crack in the door in exchange for clean ones. The bellhop, whose job it was to knock on their door daily and ask if the women wanted groceries, claimed that they always requested the same food. This included evaporated milk, crackers, bacon and eggs, and coffee. All of these things were cooked on a portable stove in their bathroom. Sometimes they would splurge and they would order fish, which they ate raw. Ida would give the bellhop a 10 cent tip saying it was all the money she had in this world. Although Ida was not keen on soap suds, she did take care of her face. She lathered it every day with petroleum jelly. When the lawyer first saw her, he commented, You could see what an extraordinary, pretty woman she once was, O'Brien noted. Her complexion, in spite of her age, was creamy and pink and unwrinkled, as if I had ever seen. It was like tinted ivory. Her profile was like a lovely cameo. She also enjoyed Cuban cigars and snuff from Copenhagen. O'Brien found out that Ida's daughter had lived in the room until the late 1920s, when she was transferred to a hospital, dying there in 1928 at the age of 71. With several relatives of Benjamin's creeping out of the woodwork, who were keen to have the room searched, and Ida flat out refusing to be moved, they decided to have her declared incompetent in September of 1931. She was moved to rooms directly below her old suite. She was crying as they escorted her downstairs. Her suite was searched, and inside an old shoebox, they found $247,200 in cash, mostly in $1,000 and $5,000 bills. The next day, a nurse searched Ida's nightgown, the one that she slept in. A further $500,000 was found in a secret pocket wrapped in oilcloth. Next, they examined Ida's 54 trunks. Some of them had been stored in a basement of the hotel. Others were stored in an uptown warehouse. Inside these trunks lay bolts of the finest lace from Ireland, Venice, and Spain. Armfuls of exquisite gowns, necklaces, watches, bracelets, tiaras, and other gem-encrusted pieces. Also, 
several $1,000, $5,000, and $10,000 gold certificates dating back to the 1860s were discovered. The list keeps getting better and better. They also found a gold-headed ebony stick, a Wood family heirloom that had been a gift from President James Monroe, and an 1867 letter from Charles Dickens to Benjamin Wood. Each trunk was taken to the Harriman National Bank, where the contents were placed in vaults. And in an old box of stale crackers, they discovered a diamond necklace worth $40,000. They even went as far as to dig up her sister's coffin, looking for more to plunder, but found nothing other than a few gold teeth. 406 people were claiming to be her heir. In the end, the lawyers uncovered the truth of Ida's fabrications about her lineage. It didn't matter to her anymore. When she was young, she had saved her money to visit a fortune teller. The old woman had peered into her crystal ball. And this is what she said to Ida. My dear, you are going to be a very lucky girl. You are going to marry a rich man and get everything you want out of this life. And this was Ida's destiny. This was the truth to her. Ida died on March 12th of 1932. And in a twist, it was not Benjamin Wood's descendants who were awarded the estate, nor to the many Mayfields who put forward their claims. It went to Ida's relations, nine members of her kin, and they received roughly $90,000 each. And this would be equivalent to nearly $1.5 million in today's money. And dear podcast about everything listener, if you think this is the end of the story, we actually have an addendum, another crazy twist that I just found out about that Ida's daughter, Emma Wood was actually not her daughter, but rather her sister. Benjamin had known that it wasn't his child, but had treated her as one of his own and kept it a secret. I hope you enjoyed this bonus feature. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe and share. Thank you so much for listening to a podcast about everything. Be safe. <laughs>